Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Nonprofit Exchange with Hugh Ballou and Russell Dennis. Russell, top of the day to you, sir. Greetings and uh, salutations from the snowy mountains. And uh, here we are again, bringing you another uh, brilliant expert to help you take your operation to the highest levels possible. I believe you're the one that brought this gentleman to the, to the show. And uh, y'all both live in Denver, and we're, we're in the latter part of May 2019. People might be listening to this any time of year, any, any year, but we're in May, and you wouldn't think it would snow. I understand you had about three or four inches there last night. A little bit. It was, it's the wet, heavy stuff that turns up in the spring, just to remind you how good you have it when the sun shines. <laughs> so our guest today has got a really, really great topic, sustainability. Will the path you are on lead you there? So John Sebesta, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Thank you very much for having me, you and Dennis. It's a pleasure. Um, so tell us. Who is John Sebesta, and what has led you to doing what you currently do, which we want to know about, too? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, first off, just thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to, to be here and have, the, have a chance to, to communicate and share with uh, so many incredible leaders out there uh, that are trying to make the world a better place. And, um, and that's where I fall into this as well as uh, just someone trying to to make the world a little bit of a better place and use the gifts that I have to do that. Um, so I was uh, raised with a, in a wonderful Christian home in New Mexico, uh, given lots of good opportunities for school and everything, and started my career in, in the government. I uh, started out going to work for NASA. Uh, and after being there for just a short bit, I realized that, uh, that the best engineers in the world work at NASA, but the best business people don't necessarily. Um, and with a finance degree, I wanted to, to get back somewhere that, uh, that valued and appreciated the business experience a little more. So I jumped over to private sector and spent about a decade in the private sector as a business manager and got into international negotiations. Uh, found that to be a fascinating path uh, and just a, a really enjoyable time. However, it was all profit-driven, um, and the goal was how do we maximize profit, and if we're going to give away profit, how do we maximize cash, uh, because cash is king. And that's, that focus led me to realize there has to be something more. We have to have a broader perspective than this. Um, and so while there are incredible business minds there, we're, we're too narrowly focused. So my wife and I said, okay, what, do we, what can we do differently? How can we use business more impactfully and use our business training more impactfully? Um, throughout that path, I'd been able to get an MBA um, and said, we're, we're running too fast. We're traveling too much. We're not going to figure this out on, uh, while we're here. So we jumped ship. Um, we both quit and booked a one-way trip to South America, um, not knowing where that was going to lead us, uh, but just knowing that that we were called to a different path. Um, through that, found an organization called Alterna uh, in Guatemala, in the Western Highlands of Guatemala. Joined that organization. It's a nonprofit, as a 501c3 here in the US, as well as down in Guatemala. Um, and they're developing the entrepreneurial ecosystem throughout Central America. And so I came on board as a finance manager for them to both offer the training, the business training that uh, they were they were giving throughout uh, throughout Central America, as well as develop that curriculum and add to it. So we're teaching people, what's your business model? Who are your customers? How do finances work? But then we wanted to take people further to, okay, now I can take on investment. And I understand the terms and how to prepare for that. What is due diligence? All of those elements. How, to, how can I create these, my, make my organization sustainable for the long term? Um, and use market forces to do that. All of these were social entrepreneurs, people using business to, to make the world a better place. Um, 
So helped to develop that training, trained and worked with about 80 different entrepreneurs, um, and then consistently saw, uh, saw the same problem. We were asking great questions, we were teaching good material, but they didn't have either the time or the business acumen to, to absorb it and implement it. Um, and so they needed something more. They needed someone to be more of a partner to them as they walked through their journey. Uh, to not just ask them if they're, if they're were measuring their impact appropriately or if they really understood their financials and had a five-year forecast, um, but to sit down with them and build that forecast and to build those impact measurement tools. Um, and so that's what that experience is what drove me to start the business, uh, business Stewardship Partners, where that's the whole goal is to come alongside of people, ask the right questions, but then be there to help implement the the analysis and the, the products that are needed to take those organizations to the next level. And, um, and I like to do that both with for-profit social enterprises still. I see that as a very powerful tool, and we'll talk more about that, I'm sure, but also nonprofits because they play a critical role in the ecosystem. So what's, what's changed a lot is that uh, as we navigate through this world that, that uh, there are different structures that are required to tackle some of these problems, and we have to be entrepreneurial. So mm -hmm. really, to me, the word sustainability is kind of a, what we're talking about is profit, which is a dirty word in some circles, mm -hmm. but you have to operate at a surplus. Uh, mm -hmm. if, you, if you spend more money than you take in, you're going to close your doors. And so this word sustainability gets a bad rap. The idea of profit gets a bad rap the idea of having extra money. So uh, it's important to have this money and not be in, in, in life support mode. And it's also important to take good care of the uh, things that are entrusted to you. So talk a little bit about, about that. And by the way, I com uh, commend you. It takes a lot of courage to, to quit safety, to do what you love. Very few people do that. Oh, thank you very much. And, uh, and yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Profit has a negative connotation uh, in a lot of circles. And, and I think that it's an, an improper and an unhealthy view of money that really is what plagues a lot of nonprofits and, and hampers their effectiveness. Um, like I say, if we, if we spend more than we take in, we close our doors. And so money is a tool that enables a nonprofit to be effective. Um, and if we view it as such, it's a tool like any other. Um, it's, it should be measured, it should be stewarded responsibly, um, and having, having more of it, having excess of it at the end of the month, end of the year, means that we have a, a wonderful problem on our hands. We get to figure out how to do more impact, how to be more effective as an organization, how to grow um, and spend those extra dollars in the, the most responsible way prop, uh, possible. And uh, so that's, that's one of the key elements and one of the reasons that I do love working with nonprofits is it, if we can shift that mindset to, from money being uh, a necessary evil to an empowering tool, uh, it really can, can just change the game in how we view our companies and uh, and even help us as we you know, will continue the conversation on sustainability, as we have that longer term perspective and we align our resources to give us more runway, we can now plan better and we can give our, our employees more stability. Um, as having worked in a nonprofit, one of the things that I have seen is employees don't know if there's going to be resources this month, next month, or three months down the road. And so there's always an uneasiness of are the resources going to be there? Uh, and so a lot of challenges uh, come about because of that improper view or negative view of, of money that, uh, that I think can be, can be switched and corrected. Well, you know, with employees, it's kind of looking at the organization and, and feeling like they're in survival mode. You, you also run across funders, some of who want to see results and they've got ideas of what they want to have measured. How do you bridge the gap? Because a lot of times people will want to write checks to run programs, but they're very hesitant as far as structure. 
So uh, how do you bridge that gap uh, with that relationship that uh, each party has with money? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, open, open communication obviously is, is critical in all organizations. Um, helping funders to see how, how everything that the organization is doing is furthering whatever the impact that organization is set to achieve. Um, so uh, like you say, people want to fund programs, but they don't want to fund overhead. Well, overhead's critically important to the success of the organization. Um, I, I find it fascinating how in, in for-profit organizations, where the, the primary goal is to take as much money and flow it back to shareholders as possible, we're still spending significant amounts of that money on overhead, on our financial finance teams, our accounting teams, um, all of those groups are, are big and well-resourced because they further the objective of the organization. Um, and I think that helping people, helping funders to make that connection between their own, typically their own business where they have those and they support the, those expenses to the nonprofit and how they should be supporting those expenses uh, in that organization as well. You mentioned another thing of funders want you to measure certain things, uh, which is a, a whole other rabbit hole that we can go down on Rift um, and, and recognizing the, the impact that our funders have on um, both the viability as well as the, the direction of our organizations um, and finding ways to, to define what that purpose is, find aligned funders, um, measure the results that keep us pursuing that, uh, that path, and how to identify when we're being taken off a, off a rabbit hole on one way or the other. So, uh, John, one of the organizations I worked with here in the mountains of Virginia was a private school that, that did not teach to the, what the public schools have to do in Virginia, the standardized testing. Mm-hmm. They thought that was dumbing down. They taught children how to learn. And so their number one guiding principle, and we work with organizations, we feel like you need to write uh, core values just to get your anchors, but those are no longer any good because they're static words. You put them into statements. So statements are guiding principles, and their number one guiding principle is we will not accept money from anyone who wants to change how we educate children. And I, I, I missed the word you said, was it mission creep? Funders want to say, I'll give you money if you'll just do this. Mm-hmm. And then we tend, we are social entrepreneurs, we tend to follow the shiny object, which then we're in a whole bunch of trouble because that money runs out, then the, our core our core work is not what we've stayed to. So being differentiated, being aligned, being clear on our, our value proposition and our vision. Um, so say a little more about that. Is that, a, is that a consistent problem you see out there? I mean, I do think that it's a consistent problem and and it's, um, it's a problem that builds on itself because as soon as we take money that leads us off of our original path um, and we start doing more of that, then we're going to attract more money that wants the same thing. And so it's just going to keep pushing us further and further down that path. Um, like say, by staying true and by, by declining um, a donation or a, a contribution because it uh, would pull you off your path sends a very clear message to all uh, existing funders and potential funders of your priorities and your willingness to stick to those priorities. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't reevaluate our priorities and if we're pursuing the right uh, the right thing. But um, but yes, I think it's a it is a very common problem. Um, there's a a book that that I really enjoyed called Mission Drift by Peter Greer uh, and Chris Horst that that speaks a lot to that and just the, the dramatic drift that you see in organizations um, over their life cycles, if there aren't the correct systems in place to, to prevent it. Drift, drift. We do that, don't we? We sure do. Yeah. Russell and I've seen that before. Haven't we, Russ? Well, it's always a squirrel <laughs> leaping out from uh, behind every tree. Then it's really easy to get distracted by something that's shiny. 
And sometimes, uh, you know, when it, when it comes to a pocket of money, it may look very tempting. And you walk into organizations and they have a, they have a brilliance. They have something about them. Uh, and sometimes they feel that, uh, that they have to make some changes to get, uh, to get the money that they need just to, to survive. So when you, when, you, when you come into contact with an organization and you look at what they've got and you see that what they're doing is brilliant and, and there may be a little bit of a lack of uh, confidence or certainty how they're going to sustain themselves, how do you have that conversation with them to say, what you're doing is very good, it works very well, you should stick to this, and, and it is possible to, to get you the resources you need. How do you have that conversation with them to sort of build the confidence uh, back and point them in the direction that serves them? Yeah, if, they're, uh, if they are being successful and, and effective in whatever their stated goal is, um, then typically the, the challenge is, is one of a couple of things. It's, am I communicating the right thing? And do I have the right messaging that's uh, going to gather the attention, the interest of donors? Uh, and along with that, is it differentiated? Um, so if, if, I'm not getting a, if I'm not getting attention, if I'm not getting donations, then um, is it because people are unaware of how effective I am? Is it because people don't care about the problem that I'm addressing? Um, and so I guess thinking through uh, what, what are the gaps, because it's either a problem of, of awareness um, or motivation and so typically, and so how do we communicate and address that communication issue? Because if the effectiveness is there and we communicate it correctly and it's a problem that people care about, uh, which these days it seems that you can get people excited and emotional about almost any uh, project, then we just have to communicate it the right way um, and target that to the specific people that, that really care about it. Because uh, different people have different causes laid on their hearts. And um, my, my aunt is an absolutely enormous uh, animal lover and animal protection and all sorts of stuff. If you talk to her about or if you talk to me about that, that's not my passion. And so I'm, no matter how effective you are, that's not where I'm going to give. But if she becomes aware of a new organization that's really effective, she's going to throw her whole weight and her whole network behind it. And so getting in front of the right people, I guess, would be the final element of that. And, uh, and that speaks to stewardship. And that's, that's what people don't always have the language mm -hmm. To communicate is that value that they're bringing and they're working in partnership. But now you have the, the, the certain type of um, person that looks at no matter what the cause is, I want to write checks for programs. I don't want to pay their rent. I don't want to pay their salaries. I just want my programs. How do you have conversations with, with folks that are a little bit resistant to maybe looking at the infrastructure of an organization. Maybe they've had a bad experience or, or something. How do you address that with, with people that are stuck in that state of mind? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And it's a, a very real and common challenge that the nonprofits face. And so I guess like we talked about before a little bit, um, um, if they are running a business themselves, chances are they have all of those expenses in their business. And so bringing back to, or at least starting with, why are you opposed to this? Um, do you feel that the organization is too fat? Do you feel potentially that your own organization is too fat and now you're you know, um, putting that on us, um, which is a, a real challenge and something that I think happens in people in the business world see that there's more fat than is necessary and assume that that's the case in every organization. Um, so trying to get to the why they feel that way um, would be the first the first step, I guess, and um, and then trying to trying to break that down to to show how the overhead is is effective and is critical in furthering the the mission of that organization. If that doesn't work, um, then I've definitely seen where there are two different groups of funders for organizations. There are 
funders who really recognize the value and the necessity of overhead. And so um, you can work with those funders to that their funds will go solely to cover that overhead. And then you can take on separate funding, separate uh, donations that go specifically to programs. And, and then you uh, oftentimes end up with different things that you're reporting to each set of set of funders. Um, and you have people that are truly experts in funding overhead and recognizing what is effective, what is excessive, um, that, that will support that and, and enable and, and really help you structure that most appropriately um, as, a, as a partner and as an aid in addition to a funder. And so if you can't get that person uh, to shift their mindset, that would be my recommendation is try to figure out if you can uh, attract the two separate funding sources, which requires a little bit more accounting work, um, driving up your overhead expense uh, is the irony of, of those kind of requests. But. So do you, do you find that a lot of organizations that you work with uh, really aren't sure exactly what their overhead costs are or that they have some leakage maybe in there somewhere in, in their spending? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, I mean, that's a result of not having, often not having those structures, not um, because we, we don't value, again, going back to, we have a negative view of money. And so we feel that, um, analyzing and studying where our money goes means that um, that we're putting too much of a priority on it and so then we're not aware of where it's going so then it starts to leak out um, so it definitely is a, a problem that builds on itself um, so yes it is a common common issue that leaders don't understand how the financials of their organizations work um, and really where those expenses are are going either in terms of programs or overhead um, and what money is being used most effectively. Uh, we may have 10 programs, and we know that, and we know how much money is going to each one, but what program is actually being effective at accomplishing our, our stated goals? Um, so it, it tends to break down in a, at a variety of different levels in, in nonprofits, um, just really centered on that core. I don't want to talk about money. I don't want to analyze money. Um, I don't want, I want to stay as far away from that conversation as I can. And that's really what I try to help people with is let's, um, let's, let's get closer to it. Let's not fear that topic. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Let's, um, we can talk about it and address it and measure it, and, uh, analyze it without being in love with it. Yeah. What do you find in terms of stewardship and discussing stewardship and being uh, conscious of it? Are there one or two weak spots that are more, more prevalent than others that you find as you go in and talk to organizations about where they are? That's a good question. One or two weak spots. Um, I see more of a challenge. So like I mentioned, I work with both nonprofits and for-profits. Um, and part of the reason for that is trying to help, especially the, the for-profit leaders, um, who usually come into it as this is my business and I own everything. It's my profit. Um, and try to break down that belief and, uh, and at least derive the thought process behind what, what is stewardship? What is mine? And, um, is this really just a gift to me that I am managing, that I am stewarding uh, for the benefit of, of my family, for the benefit of society, hopefully for the benefit of the environment and my employees and my customers? Am I stewarding it responsibly with all of those different stakeholders in mind? So um, I see that much more common, challenges with that much more commonly in the for-profit world. Um, and it, here in Colorado, there's far more of an, uh, far more attention on environment <clears throat> than I used to live in Texas and spent a fair amount of time up to the last few years in the Caribbean and Central America. Um, there's not as much focus on the environment in those places, but more focus uh, on community. Uh, whereas here, there's still a lot of times not focus on community. Um, so 
trying to look at all of the stakeholders and and drive a conversation about where who are we ignoring and who who are we overemphasizing, um, whether and that is true in the nonprofits as well. If we're oftentimes overemphasizing the beneficiaries and underemphasizing our employees, and we're not paying people a wage at which they can actually live and provide for their families, um, that's also an imbalance of stewardship. Um, and so, looking at all of the all of the areas holistically is is one of the most critical pieces uh, that I love diving into. Oh, preach it, brother. He's singing our song, isn't he, Russell? Very much so, yes. Uh, you know, it all starts with a good strategy, but there are a lot of people that don't necessarily know what they don't know. So so going in, John, as, as you know, people may, uh, I, I'm not sure, how do people find you and, and what's the, the most common question you get? Uh, if they're not, if they're a for-profit and then a non-profit. So um, I'm new to the Denver area, and so just starting to get get plugged into a variety of, of different networks. Um, and so uh, thus far, people have have been finding me either through through friends or through networking events, um, just getting my my name out there. Um, but it's easy to find me online at stewardpartner.com and learn a little bit about more of the different uh, different services that I can provide um, and that that our team can. But most common um, most common question from a uh, from a for profit side is how can I get help without having to pay for it right now? Um, <laughs> because in, work, in working with entrepreneurs, working with small businesses, um, strapped for cash today, but the future is bright. Um, and so figuring out how to, to find a structure that works for everyone. Um, so, and, so, John, you're, you bring a lot of expertise to the table. Um, I'm, I'm sure you find some people get it and some people don't. It's, it's interesting. People that are deepest in their own confusion don't want to do anything about it. Yeah. Uh, it you know I saw a survey years ago that fifty percent of United Methodists don't like their worship, but eighty five percent of those don't want to do anything about it. Um, so there's um, there's a hole that people get into, and we see lots of marginalized practices, which really is they think they're being frugal, they're being stingy. And I'm got a Scottish Presbyterian background. I know what frugal is and also know what stingy is. The, uh, the very word, um, and looking at the, um, the TED Talk um, by Dan Pallotta, the way we think about charity is dead wrong. He, he moves around using the word nonprofit. Now, here we are on the nonprofit exchange because people identify this sector. Um, but I think that's a, that's a point where we start this deep dive into scarcity thinking with the word nonprofit. And then, you know, it's, it's, oh, we have to have a, a, a overhead that's a poverty level. We pay people poverty pay and expect them to work because it's for the cause. So it doesn't seem like that is faithful to good stewardship of the resources God's given us. Would you speak to any of that? Um, you seem to be right on target with where you're leading people. Yeah, absolutely. And that's um, one, just such a common problem and um, that is pervasive across the nonprofit space that, that I have seen of, um, like you say, and, and we're seeing it more and more with, with millennials, especially who want to work for something that they're passionate about, that, where they see purpose. And people are willing to, uh, to sacrifice or make some adjustment take a lower salary a lower pay yeah because it's a project or an effort that that they feel passionate about so that to me is what is an encouraging thing in that people are looking at their lives more holistically um and saying okay it's not just about maximizing my personal income meanwhile that's not something that we should abuse as nonprofit leaders um like i mentioned when i started with uh, with my career with the government, the government doesn't have the best business people because the government doesn't value the best business people. It doesn't pay for the best business people. Um, there's no rewards there. And so while we'll get people to, uh, to accept maybe less than they could in a, in a different 
environment, a more for-profit model, um, or especially a, a pure profit-driven model, um, we still need to, to treat those people respectfully, fairly. One of the organizations that, um, that I had the pleasure of, of getting to know the founders uh, down in Guatemala, it's called Adelante Shoes. And uh, what they have done, it's they make high quality uh, handmade shoes in Guatemala and sell them all over the world. Uh, but they have established a, a separate nonprofit called the Living Well Line. And it looks at in this community, specific to that community, what is a salary that's required to actually live well, to put my kids in school, to put healthy food on the table, to have the necessary medical uh, covered. And that's the lowest pay that anyone in the organization gets, regardless of their position. And then you go up from there. And so taking that mindset to our, to our nonprofits, I think is a really important and valuable thing of, okay, we want our people to, um, to provide for their families, to have their kids go to good schools, to eat healthy, um, and to save for retirement and, and to give. We want them to have enough to be generous themselves. And, and we have to compensate them in a way that, that enables them to do that. And, um, and so looking at what is, what is required for that in, in your local context and making that the baseline um, and then only moving up from there is, is absolutely part of the, the stewardship component. Of, that's one of the stakeholders um, that, that we need to be assessing. And, and ha happy employees are way more effective. Employees who know that there's a plan and know that they have longevity, that the company the organization has longevity are far more effective. And so building in um, not only the, that appropriate compensation, but the planning to give them the comfort and the peace of mind that it will be there tomorrow as well is, is one of the key roles and responsibilities of, of any nonprofit leader. Um, we are, I've been posting on social media and um, this interview and if I want to just tell people that are watching us live, if you're on the podcast, it's too late. But if you're watching us live on the on Facebook or one of the other platforms, you have questions. I'm looking out for questions to ask for our guest. But so far, he's been pretty comprehensive. So, Russell, I'm going to throw it back to you for some of those really good questions you have up your sleeve, sir. <laughs> well, yeah, I was thinking about that, you know, uh, what you were saying here. And the, the idea of, uh, of paying people a living wage really seems to get people in an uproar. It's just, uh, it's, it's amazing to me how, how many people think that uh, uh, just to have enough money to meet a standard of living is just going to break the bank completely. And uh, yeah, it's just basic Maslow. I mean, people aren't very creative when they're wondering if they've got enough money to make sure the lights stay on. So they're going to do their best work. They're able to serve better uh, when they're not in despair and when they're not eligible for the programs they're administering. Mm -hmm. So how, how do you, you have that conversation with, with, uh, with, with uh, folks, uh, whether they're running a business or a nonprofit, who uh, feel that? And, and the reality is that uh, today I think that, one of the largest expenses, uh, as it were, for any organization are personnel. So how do you help shift the, the, their view to a view of what's the value that we're getting here as opposed to this is just costing me money and, uh, you know, I could have taken one more trip to Bermuda if I'd paid these folks less. Which, like, is one more trip to Bermuda. So what's the objective of my organization? Um, why do why do I exist? And um, and I think that you have to start there. And I'm not going to get to the, the name, but uh, the author, but the book start with why. Um, and getting you know unpacking that further and further to to get to your own heart of why do I do this? Why am I leading this organization? And uh, one of the efforts, um, especially in in for profit business is to provide employment. Um, 
part of why I work with small business is because small business is the engine of our economy. Uh, and, and that's where we're going to see growth. That's where we have historically seen growth. And if we can structure our small businesses to, um, to provide that, that uh, living, wage, uh, living well wage for our employees, then they're better, uh, better actors in the community. And then they're the ones out both buying our products and, and all of the ones around making the other businesses more effective. Um, and so recognizing that the purpose of our organization is only achieved when the, all of the people on our team are rowing in the same direction. Um, and it's a lot more effective when they're rowing with all their might after having a, a full meal last night. Um, then we stop seeing it as, um, again, as a necessary evil, as an unfortunate expense to be minimized, and as the very engine of our organizations that's going to make them successful. Um, and so I think that looking at and making the, the tie between the satisfaction of our employees and the effectiveness of our organizations is, is the key in that, that conversation. Um, the other side of it is, Am I being focused enough? Um, there are certain things that nonprofits are uniquely qualified to do, and there are things that business and the market uh, forces can solve when enough creativity and the right structures are applied. And so making sure that we keep our nonprofit focused where a nonprofit needs to be, it's a critical actor in the ecosystem but when it moves beyond its space, um, then it can unintentionally cause, cause more harm than good. Um, and so that's, I think, where sometimes we see growth in expenses as nonprofits expand and um, get beyond their, their intended means. And then that, that personnel budget grows. Um, and now we're trying to, to maintain an army uh, instead of just staying focused. You left out government in that scenario. There's things government ought not be doing. That is a true statement. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got a lot of experience with government. And <laughs> it's, it's interesting. And, and, but, you know, to be fair, the flip side of that conversation, and you know, I've had, uh, I've had uh, points in time where I had people working for me, and, you know, some of them, uh, they just got this idea that they're entitled to a lot more. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, I've been exerting myself for 15 minutes. Nobody's uh, put a bonus check in my, in my box here. And the flip side of that is how, how people approach their work. You have people that are really motivated. You have people that are just there because they're just there. So the importance of, of treating anything you do and being your best at it and having some kind of ownership in it mm -hmm. can't be overstated, you know. Uh, and I've seen people, they were, you know, you have good employers, you have bad employers. The most important thing is how you show up because you're providing service for people. You're dealing with more than just your employer. You're dealing with the public. Uh, at some point, you're going to be going elsewhere or dealing with other people or starting your own business. How do you want people to view you? And so this is, a, this is something that people don't necessarily think about. They think, well, this job doesn't have a lot of prestige, but it's being the best you can at that job and uh, having some ownership, treating it like it's something that belongs to you that you want to see expand, that you want to see grow, that you want to see uh, your profits uh, increase, whether that's uh, what goes into your paycheck and how satisfied you are when you walk out of the door at the end of the day, uh, as you walk in, the, and the, the truth is you can walk into a, any type of organization, public or private, and if you're walking around and you're looking around for a few minutes, you can actually spot these folks from a distance. So uh, when, when you walk into an organization and, and you see these types of things, how do you address it? Because it's, it, it can be a sensitive thing. Uh, you may not address it directly with the employee himself or herself, 
But if, if you notice these types of things, how do you bring this up to the, to the uh, organization leader? And, and uh, what do you recommend they do in that case? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's something that's having worked both in government and in large corporations, um, you absolutely see in small organizations. I think it's, uh, it's harder to hide in a small organization or a um, small nonprofit. As they get bigger, it gets easier and easier. Um, and so setting the right, the right culture is, I think, the, the first and the most important step of, uh, and even more so in a nonprofit, in a nonprofit, we all have this vision, this mission that we are here and that we are excited to fight for. Um, I've heard it phrased as we are on a crusade after this this objective, and so that needs to be the mentality of of everyone in the organization, whether that person is on the on the front lines or that person is is your accountant and your bookkeeper. Um, they need to be excited about that that mission. Um, and so making that clear for your team, what the mission is and making it clear to them how their work contributes to the effectiveness <clears throat> of the organization, I think is the, the first and, and most important, uh, most important step uh, where you have people that are not contributing fully, then it's, you know, trying to figure out what's causing it. Is there a lack of motivation? Is there a lack of ability? Um, what, what's really driving it? Do they, if they need to be trained, then that's part of the role of the organization, assuming it has the, the ability to do so, um, which if you hired them, you should have checked to make sure they had a, at least the base level of, of experience and qualifications so that some sort of continuing education is uh, is sufficient to keep them proficient at their at their work. Um, if it's a motivation issue, what's what's driving that? Um, there can be personal things in people's life that cause them to not show up and bring their best at work. And it, uh, frequently, we like to stay away from the personal um, personal side of your life when we get to work. But in my perspective, if we uh, if we embrace our families and we treat them well and we show that we care about them by paying them a living wage and by providing the right sorts of benefits, then we can um, you know, envelop them like a family where we're saying, okay, what's going on in your life? You know, I've seen that this isn't, you know, that you're not as excited, you're not as motivated as you used to be. What's driving that and how can we address it? And then if there's people that just either don't have the capacity and aren't going to get there or um, for whatever reason aren't aligned aren't excited about the mission of the organization then it's the it's the best it's your role as steward of that organization to remove them and to bring people in that are aligned and are motivated and that's a hard thing to do but it's one of the most important things not only for the organization for the rest of your team for the health of that team culture, and even for the person that's leaving, to put, help, help them find an area where they can be excited and motivated and passionate to come to work. That's a service to them. That's not, um, that's not a mean thing. You're not, you know, you're not hurting them. You're actually serving them by helping, helping them find a, a better fit for them. Hey, Russell, I like this guy. He's, he's preaching our song. Hey, um, John, that, that avoidance of conflict is really high with clergy and really high with nonprofit leaders. They, mm -hmm. they say, Oh, he's a volunteer. She's a volunteer. We can't, we can't do that to them. And I think we've, we've, it's back to this, this, this scarcity mindset with the word nonprofit. We've got a whole lot of misconceptions. One of our guests a while back gave us a new name. He said, we have a for profit business and we have a for purpose enterprise. <laughs> so we have a purpose and you are so right. And having served the church for 40 years, I had to fire some volunteers, but I did it in a way that they were happy and relieved because they knew it wasn't working out and they felt obligated to stay with it, even though they were terrible at it. And so you're, you're so right. It's the, the leader's duty and delight to step up and say, Hmm, let's, we, this isn't working. How can we make it work? Now, sometimes those people have good ideas, but sometimes 
we have to give them ideas, but always we're in charge. So I'm, I'm really happy to, to have you bring that to the light. That's one of the areas that we actually um, create more conflict as leaders. Yeah, and it's part of our role is to, to recognize and embrace a healthy level of conflict. Um, and I realize there are different personality styles and um, some people that really struggle with conflict. My, my wife doesn't like conflict at all. Um, my, uh, my past job when I was in corporate America, I was in negotiation, international negotiator. And so it was just part of, part of the day for me. Um, but finding ways for it to be and um, to make sure that all of those, those conflicts are constructive and are searching for a way to provide the most value to, to everyone. Um, I found that I had fantastic relationships with my customers because the conversation wasn't just, um, you know, I'll sell it for X and you know I want to buy it for Y. It was, okay, what's important to you? How can we adjust things to find what's more valuable to you that I'm not as worried about? Um, and when you open up that dialogue, you can find some really creative ways to bring value to one another that hardly cost anything or uh, in a lot of cases are actually mutually beneficial. So, Between Russell and I, we've been working for, with nonprofits for Oh, 50, 60 years, I'm sure. But I, I, you know, we'd never find one that's absent of conflict. As a matter of fact, conflict is the sign of energy. And I'm, I'm really pleased to have, have you reframe that. We avoid it and it really escalates. So something that's little becomes nuclear. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always going to go away. No, it's not. We need to address, we just have mismatched expectations primarily. Mm-hmm. Now, you said um, your wife doesn't like conflict. I don't know anybody likes conflict unless they're an antagonist. <laughs> but you know, it's part, you're right. It comes with the turf of being the leader. And unless you're the only place I've ever seen that there is no conflict is a cemetery. And mm-hmm. unless you're running a cemetery, you're probably going to have it. So um, we got we got our last uh, ten minutes here. So Russell, how about you ask one more, one more question, and I'll do a sponsor moment. And then, John, we'll give you the last word. You get to offer a tip or a piece of advice or a challenge to our, our audience today. So, Russell, what do you want to challenge him with as our last question on this really good interview, John? Oh, it's been brilliant. I knew he was brilliant. That's why I wanted to bring him here to talk with him. On the subject of, of conflict in cemeteries, there's always a couple of squirrels fighting, oh, fighting for some acorns. So there is conflict. But the people are not involved. I will give you that much. Um, And so just in closing, you know, when we talk about stewardship for an organization, we find ourselves talking about all types of assets, but people never come into the conversation. How do you speak to a leader that you say that you see because when they come in there they know you're a numbers guy they want to talk to you about money and assets maximizing this that or the other and you notice that maybe there's not really a whole lot of focus on on how they uh treat the people or the people never come up and they have excessive turnover perhaps how do you uh explain to somebody that that it, stewardship involves really taking care of all of the people you come in contact with, beneficiaries, employees, people in the community. How do you have that conversation with somebody that may not have a balanced view of that? Yeah, great question. And um, so one of the, the uh, tools that's, that I always will work uh, with on, and with any leader is looking at a stakeholder model where you're looking at where, uh, you know, who are all of my stakeholders and how am I doing with each of them? So uh, first it's, usually people have never even thought about it. Um, And so they haven't looked at it from that lens to say, okay, how is my organization impacting the environment or the community in which we live? Um, And so just, putting it on a piece of paper and asking them to say, okay, mark down, give yourself a score in each of these areas and then justify it. 
uh, as to how are you doing with each of these different stakeholders. So that's gonna drive the conversation and make sure that we don't ignore an area. Uh, it, you know, it's gonna expose those blind spots that, that exist in most every business and most every organization. Um, and then with, with the people especially, so many times that manifests itself in the numbers. And so if I have high turnover, that's gonna show up in my costs. Um, my HR, my hiring, my uh, severance, whatever is going to, going to show that I have some people problems. And typically, um, organizations are going to be forecasting, if we can get to where we are forecasting, which is a positive step, um, they're going to be forecasting growth. And then the question is, who's going to do it? And do you have the team in place to actually meet those objectives that you've set out, those forecasts, those plans? Um, and if not, what are you going to do to get there? Uh, or how are you going to better equip this team to, to realize those objectives? And, and as the organization succeeds, how do we make sure that, that everybody succeeds with it? Um, and so I think that looking at the problem or looking at the numbers to, to see the problems, to see where those manifest, and then as we lay out, the, um, lay out those projections, getting into the, okay, that's great, it's important to have that strategic plan, that goal for the future, but what are the steps today in order to reach that plan and who's going to be executing it? Because we all want our organizations to provide more value, to be more effective, and it's the people in the organizations that are gonna do that. Um, and so it's, it's your job as a leader to equip, to empower, to motivate, those the people on your team to be as effective as possible that's the number one role of a leader um, and and the rest of it that plan will will come into fruition if that team is is excited and, and knows how they contribute to it that's uh, very wise words wow um, you can find out more about john sabesta and uh, stewardship partners at uh, stewardship singular partner singular.com correct correct stewardshippartner.com and um, you'll find out more information about john and, and what he does and what what is so evident here is that um, any of us as leaders need to reach outside of ourselves and our organization for clarity for help for perspective and for instance we're updating the center vision foundations strategic plan that's what we do is a core competency we can't do our own plan <laughs> so I've reached outside and you know of course we have colleagues that do the same stuff um, we don't call them competitors because there's plenty of business so we reach out and um, we, we exchange services but we can't see our own blind spots so what what's re I'm reminded of as I hear you so eloquently talk about the issues and how to address them is we don't know that and we need somebody like John Sebastian to help us figure it out. So thank you. I'm gonna talk about a sponsor message and I'll let you have the last word. Um, our frequent sponsor is WordSprint. WordSprint prints our magazine. And the magazine that we have just off the press today, this is the, uh, this is the newly renovated Academy Theater in downtown Lynchburg, Virginia. And the whole issue is about how the community came together that made that happen but also how the community came together in partnerships and collaborations to make other things happen. So we've got about five or six local nonprofits that had stories about partnerships and collaborations. The, the magazine goes to our members in Center Vision online community for community builders. You can find the magazine at nonprofitperformance.org. It's called nonprofitperformance.org. And from that place, on the Center Vision site, you'll see a blue button at the top that says join. We want you to join because we want to talk to you and we can learn things together. You can join for free or there's other levels and you get a lot more stuff as you go up in the levels. But WordSprint helps us stay in touch with our tribe. We stay in touch with the people who are in the saddle, who want to network, who want to learn. And so there's, there's many benefits, but we stay in touch because WordSprint helps us stay in touch with a mailing program. We put something in their hands. It's the right message to the right person at a, right, at a rhythm 
that they remember us and it's top of mind marketing. So if you're running a nonprofit and you have donors, it's imperative that you send them regular messages, the right person, the right message in a rhythm and something that looks decent, but that's the minor part. Let them know what's happening. You're exercising good stewardship with the resources they've given you. So your donor retention goes up in a huge amount as well as the new donor acquisition because they will introduce you to people and they will say it's so exciting what's happening. So wordsprint.com, sprint like in fast, wordsprint.com. Bill Gilmer and his team will help you stay in touch with your tribe, specifically your donors, so they remain donors and they up their ante. So try them out. John, what's the closing thought you'd like to leave in people's mind today? Well, thank you. So just to confirm, the website is stewardpartner.com, just stewardpartner. Um, I'm sure we'll get that link in there somewhere for people. Um, but a couple of questions. It's on the page where the podcast is on the nonprofit exchange. It's right there. Um, so a couple of questions uh, for for our nonprofit leaders to to think about, and and then if you don't know or to go to your team, um, go to the the other leaders within your organization and uh, discuss, meditate on. And then, like um, like you just mentioned, go to your tribe. Who are those advisors that that can help you think through them? And if necessary, bring in outside help. That's what um, that's what some of us are are here for. That's how we contribute to society and how we contribute to to your organizations is by helping be that outside ear, that outside set of eyes to to rethink, reframe uh, the conversation. So, a couple of thoughts of. One, do you really understand how money is flowing through your organization? If you don't, spend a little time with your bookkeeper, with your accountant, with your finance manager, whoever that may be, to, to get a, a solid grasp of that. And do you have a viable plan for the future that lets your team focus on the mission they have as opposed to worrying about whether or not their paycheck's going to show up next week, next month, next year. Um, do they know that you, that you have viability and that you have a real plan that you're marching down and how they contribute to it? And then the last thought, um, if my organization ceases to exist, are the beneficiaries that I'm helping going to be better off when I'm gone or have I created some sort of unintended harm, unintended dependency? Um, there's a book that I'd encourage anyone and everyone to read. It definitely helped to shape my perspective, uh, When Helping Hurts by Brian Chinkert and Steve Corbett. Um, but so often, it's so easy to create unintended harm um, when we're trying to do good. And so just always being mindful of that with the first rule of do no harm, um, even when we, when we think we're doing good. But just like to say thank you for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure to, um, to go wherever the conversation goes. And, and I look forward to, to trying to do that with, uh, with any of the, the nonprofit leaders that are listening. I uh, would love to, to sit down and talk through your organizations and how you can be more effective, more sustainable, um, and have healthy, happy teams. Thank you. Thank you, John. It's been brilliant. And, and we are here every Tuesday afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern on the Nonprofit Exchange. We at Center Vision Leadership want to provide you with tools so that you can be your best, work at your best, work only for the best, and expect only the best, and move forward to help others and to, and to grow your community. Uh, Go to the centervision.org website and click uh, the big blue button to join us. We are developing more tools and resources all the time, and we want to have conversations. And it's about having conversations. When people talk to one another, ideas flow. When ideas flow, things begin to change. So please join us here again next Tuesday on the Nonprofit Exchange, where we will bring you another brilliant mind who is out here like you, trying to make a difference in the lives of others. 
We give thanks to you for your time, talent, and treasure, and we will look for you at the same time again next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.